This is episode 95 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Katherine Williams. Kate has been in SLP for eight years. She's worked in the schools, SNF, post-acute, long-term care, and nonprofit associations. She's currently in private practice in an acute hospital setting. She is a certified compassion fatigue professional through the International Association of Trauma Professionals. She received her master's degree in speech-language pathology at the University of Oregon and is currently working on her clinical science doctorate at Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions. Her doctoral research is on the topic of compassion fatigue and determining the effects of a specific remediation strategy for SLPs. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. And I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello there and welcome back. Just have a big announcement for everybody. We are going to be opening the doors to the MedSLP Collective on July 12th. I'm so excited to finally be opening them. Thank you everybody who has been waiting so patiently. If you've been on the waiting list, you'll get an email right away. Um, yeah, so what is the MedSLP Collective if you are not familiar with it? Well, it was actually designed for a very specific group of medical SLPs. If you're feeling unfulfilled in your career as a medical SLP or perhaps a bit confused on how to move forward, if you're feeling completely overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed, misunderstood, underappreciated in your facility, if you feel like you're riding the therapy hamster wheel, unsure if you're even providing good care for your patients, If you are getting overwhelmed with how much medical SLP information was missing from your graduate education that you're now expected to know, maybe you're feeling a little bit angry that you received the same training as clinicians who work with kindergartners, and now you feel like you have huge gaps in what you need to know to treat these medical cases. Maybe you've been working in the field for a while. Are you feeling frustrated that there's no one single centralized source to stay up to date on all the latest research and treatments that are coming out every year? Are you even sure that you're providing the right and best, most up-to-date treatment techniques for your patients? Well, imagine if there was one place that you could go to receive all the support and resources to help you eliminate these feelings. Imagine how much time and frustration you would save if you had immediate access to one centralized location for blind peer-reviewed resources. Imagine if you had access to several clinical experts and university professors to help guide you in your clinical decision-making with personalized responses to your clinical cases. Do you think then your patients would receive higher quality care and make progress towards their goals? Do you think you would get more rewarded and recognized for this progress among your patients? Well, this is exactly why I created the Medical SLP Collective. It's a monthly membership program and vibrant community of fellow medical SLP clinicians and researchers who are supporting each other to provide better care for their patients and therefore also advance their careers. So what do you get in the collective? You get weekly done-for-you resources. So each week you'll receive a new video created to help educate you all about all areas of medical SLP, including dysphagia, aphasia, motor speech disorders, voice disorders, NICU, PEDS, and cognitive communication. 
You'll also get information on how to advocate for your patients within the organizational bureaucracies that often make you feel like your patients don't matter to the doctors and nurses. Each video also comes with a PDF handout that gives you links to all the resources and references you need to implement, and they can all be printed for convenience to take on the go. The resources never go away. The library just continues to grow. So you will always have access to all the previous videos and handouts. Also of note, all resources are blind peer reviewed. So you deserve to have confidence in knowing that the materials you are using for your patients are the latest evidence-based and designed to save you from weeding through all the crap. We cover aphasia, dysphagia, dysarthria, voice, cognitive communication, and NICU, just to name a few. Additionally, each month we have two-hour live webinars that are offered for ASHA CEUs, delivered by some of the most foremost clinical experts and researchers in the field, so you'll get a chance to vote on the most relevant topics to you each month. And also, if you can't attend the webinars live, that the recording is always put in our library. So if you join now or July 12th when we open, you have access to all of the previous past webinars that you can take for ASHA CEUs. And lastly, but I think most importantly, we have our private forum and Facebook group. So we have both a Facebook group and also a private forum that has its own app to ask all your clinical questions there. We have several, I believe, 20 to 25 different clinicians and researchers that act as moderators and mentors to ensure you receive personalized guidance supported by the evidence to help treat your patients as best as you can. Many of our members in the collective say that the private forum in the Facebook group is worth the price of admission alone as you get real-life frontline in-the-trenches support from your fellow clinicians with researchers to back it up and a team of trained guides to answer your every question. So again, medslpcollective.com. It is opening July 12th. It's a monthly membership site. So if you join us and you decide it's not for you, no biggie. We also have a seven-day money-back guarantee. So again, if you jump in, download every single resource, watch every single webinar, and still decide you don't like it, you can get your money back. So <laughs> I do hope that you will see the value of what it is. It's a wonderful community. I could not be more proud of how it's turned out. Yeah, I, I, I really don't have anything to say other than I love it so much, and I really, truly hope you'll join us. So that will be opening on July 12th. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Teresa. How are you? I'm doing so well. I'm so excited to talk about our topic today. Yes. Thank you for getting up at the early butt crack of dawn, your time to chat with me. I hate the whole East Coast, West Coast thing, but thank you for playing nice with me. <laughs> it's good. I have my tea in hand. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Good, good, good. All right. So tell the people who you are, Kate. Yeah, so I'm Kate Williams. I'm a speech therapist out in California, and I've been a speech therapist for eight years. I'm also a certified compassion fatigue professional, and I'm currently going to Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions to get my clinical science doctorate in speech therapy, where I'm working on my capstone paper talking about or discussing strategies to help the medical SLP with signs and symptoms of burnout and compassion fatigue. Awesome. This is such an important topic. I feel like it's like a hot topic in just all of medicine, you know, right now, but especially for our field. And, and I love that you're actually doing the science and the research of, of digging into it. 
Yeah, yeah, it's an exciting topic and I think it is much needed for our profession. Sometimes we're kind of like the redheaded stepchild of medical professionals and I finally feel like there's some emphasis in our field to identify these signs and symptoms within our profession. Yeah. So so I think what's so interesting about you, Kate, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this, and if you do, we'll cut it out, but you come from like a line of speech pathologists, like your whole family is speech pathologists, and I think that's just the coolest thing ever, but then also, you're also researching this topic on the other hand. Totally. Yeah, it's kind of like speech therapy is in our DNA in the Samples Williams clan here. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom's retired, but my dad and I currently work in private practice together. Awesome. And But my mom's been retired from the schools. Actually, her and my dad started the practice, but we've all worked in a lot of different settings and we've all experienced some form or another compassion fatigue and burnout in our own ways. Yeah. So I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've done all of that around it too. Is that like dinner family table talk with you guys? Oh yeah. yeah. My husband, who's not a part of speech therapy, is like, what are you guys talking about? He's just like, okay, I get it. I get it. Who's sick of their job today? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, cool. All right. And, And I love that you actually used is, forgive me if I sound naive, but like is compassion fatigue, like the actual coined term for it? Because I think what was so interesting, I there's a girl, Brooke, she's wonderful, that I work with. And she she's like, I feel like I'm experiencing compassion fatigue. Like, is that a real thing? And I was like, I mean, I think so. Like, I totally understand what you're saying, but I think that is a term. And then when I, you know, saw your thing come through, I was like, Kate says it's a term. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's kind of a a million dollar question in terms of terminology for what we're going to be talking about today, because there are so many different terms for what we're talking about, and they can be used interchangeably, but all these conceptual definitions can change depending on the profession under investigation. Some researchers delineate the terms. Some just use them interchangeably, like I said. So there's a lot of other terms being used. So there's compassion fatigue, there's burnout, there's secondary traumatic stress, there's empathy fatigue, vicarious trauma. I mean, all these different ones. Um, So it is, it's hard to, do I have this? I don't know because there's all these terms floating around there and it's hard to really figure out what, what resonates with you because the research isn't necessarily consistent either. Gotcha. I think what I struggle with is like, I think of compassion fatigue. Like I think of one year, I I think it was maybe like my third or fourth year in in the field. And I had like five patients die that week or something. And I was like, I can't do this. Like I'm so emotionally invested in these patients and like their families are discharge planning. Like we're working on them going home and then they die, you know, like I'm like, I can't do this. And so like, I think of that as like compassion fatigue. And then as like burnout, I think of like, all the stress of like the productivity and like the payer crap that we're dealing with. And like, I think of just being like, I am done with this field. I am burnout. I'm not dealing with like the, you know, the, the payer systems that they're imposing on us, you know, and, and all they care about is money. And all we're really trying to care about is the patient. So. 
Right. And that's, you actually kind of touched on a framework that I like to use that just is, it makes sense in my head. So STAM 2010, she did a great job of defining these terms and just putting it in a real tangible way. So kind of like compassion fatigue is like the umbrella term for all this stuff that we're talking about. And Bush defined compassion fatigue as basically like a state an emotional state with negative psychological and physical consequences that emulate from either acute or a prolonged caregiving of people with stricken by intense trauma, suffering, or misfortune. So your week where five people passed away, yeah, I would say you definitely experienced compassion fatigue in that yeah. time. That's the pure definition of what you experienced. So underneath that umbrella of compassion fatigue, there's these two stems. So there's burnout, and that's exactly what you were saying. So Maslash has done a ton of research in terms of burnout. And what she defines it as, it's basically like a syndrome of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a reduced personal accomplishment that occurs with individuals who work with people. So that's us, right? But ultimately, it can stem from a basis of organizational-related mental strain. So we're talking about paperwork, we're talking about supervision, we're talking about administration. And so it's basically, it's like this chronic condition of perceived demands that outweighing these resources that we have available to either do our job effectively or efficiently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other one too, so there's from that STEM, there's burnout. And then the other one is secondary traumatic stress. And that's basically professionals who continually come into close interactions with trauma survivors, may also experience emotional disruptions and being indirectly affected by their trauma. So, you know, I also work in the acute setting. So people are having strokes. These are stroke survivors. And yes, they've gone through extreme trauma by the time that I see them. So we're absolutely susceptible to this as well. Gotcha. So, so let me ask Kate, did any of those studies really go through, I guess, kind of break down what's causing the burnout? Like, like I think in, you know, our little SLP bubble, I think of the things like you said, you know, like the supervision, the paperwork, you know, I think of like the payer systems and they're obviously all sort of intertwined and in that there's this productivity push. And I guess I would just be interested to know if there's like one you know, magic bullet that seems to be the thing that's like driving us all bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And before I answer that, cause that is true. There is definitely okay. something with that. I want to take it kind of back because all of these terms, they have this underlying stress response. So this is Basically, stress is constructed through a combination of external factors and internal factors by a person's perception of a given situation. So this physiological stress response happens within the system of your body, so it triggers different systems and neural networks from the stress response. So we probably heard of before the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So just to refresh, the sympathetic nervous system is like that flight or fight response. That's like 
your body's way of saying danger, this isn't good. And then the parasympathetic nervous system is that rest and digest stage. Oh, everything's good, easy breezy. It relaxes the body, it inhibits and slows down these high energy functions. So when we perceive something as stressful, our body initiates that fight or flight reaction in the body. So I'll kind of paint you a picture of what that looks like in the body. So we're going to go back, back in time to our, our hunter and gatherer phase of, of life. And, you know, you're in your sexy loincloth and you're foraging in nature and, you know, carrying around this hand woven basket and bam, a lion comes out of nowhere. So what happens in your body, right? There's definitely a fight or flight response. So the biological effects start where the liver releases sugar and fats into the bloodstream, which creates this energy, which then increased respiration rate. It produces this shallow breathing because you don't want the lion to hear you if you're like in the bush or whatever. And so oxygen is produced at larger quantities and the heart rate increases to send multiplied red blood cells throughout the body and the blood clotting mechanisms are stimulated to prevent any injury. So if you have to like fight this lion, perspiration increases to regulate the body's temperature. So if you're in a fight and then muscle tension occurs, so if Again, if you have to fight, your muscles are prepared to do that. Your saliva glands halt, digestion stops so that blood can be diverted to the necessary muscles required for action. Your pupils dilate so you can see better. All the senses are heightened in this there's response. And then physical changes in, of stress can also trigger mental, emotional behavior changes. So a person may become more aggressive, feel angry, and mental changes can range from either increased alertness or total memory lapses. And I tell you that because that's all happening in your body. So instead of the lion nowadays, all of that happens when we have a modern day stress. So like work related, that's everything that's happening in our body when we perceive something as stressful. I always found that really fascinating. I had no idea all the things that simultaneously happen when we have some kind of stress response. And, you know, now we don't have a lion, but we have these everyday things, like you're saying, paperwork or things like that. So our brain doesn't differentiate between, you know, the caveman stresses back then and our current modern day stresses of life. So to answer your question, now that we have that information, so, so how does this develop? So Miller and Potter, they attributed a correlation of high levels of burnout to either having limited preventative or coping methods available. So thank you for your podcast, Teresa, because we're going to provide some of that today to help awesome. get some people started. Because like your colleague who says, I think I have compassion fatigue. Well, okay, yeah, you have it, but now what do I do with that information right. and I have it. So it, this is kind of the next step now that we've identified. So it's also been suggested that the, if there's a poor client to clinician ratio, so that you have, you know, less time for each client because you've got more people to see and treat. 
And then people who are more susceptible, the research has found that if you're a female, if you're newer to the profession, if you have a larger acquired caseload, if you have limited perceived time to complete that paperwork, limited support from colleagues, and high interpreted pressure. So if you have high, a high pressure job, you're going to be more at risk for burnout. And then I do want to say, so I did mention that, yes, if you're newer to the profession, you're higher risk. However, Ravi had all found that for more experienced clinicians, the higher burnout rates are suggested to be related to these higher work pressures, the output requirements of a higher work position. So you might be higher up in the ladder at your job, which has more stress and more responsibility attached to that. And also the demand to become more familiarized with advanced technologies. So it's really not within your repertoire, but you're expected to know all of this. That can also lead to some high burnout with that. Well, and also too, with speech therapists also reported that their perception of being overworked, having limited staff to complete work-related tasks, and then just like job family conflicts. So, I mean, majority of us are female in this profession. And so we've got the family to take care of. We got work to take care of and we have ourselves to take care of. That's just three of the many hats that I know we all work with. So finding balance with all that definitely creates that stress as well. But I thought this was interesting since, you know, this is mainly a podcast for medical speech therapists that Blood et al. found that specifically for medical SLPs, the lack of professional autonomy may lead to greater stress response from medical speech language pathologists who are not recognized for their contributions to the patient care team. So they're basically feeling underappreciated. Yeah, yeah. I think... I, I, I honestly feel like that's one of like my missions in life. Like my goals in life is to get us to, to that level of appreciation. And I, I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm just a bully or heartless in this aspect, but I think it's easy to just kind of sit down and say, you know, they don't appreciate us, but are we doing our part to, and, and that's what I, I get conflicted with because some people are like, well, why do I have to do that? You know, the doctor doesn't have to advocate for themselves. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why we have to, but I think we do, you know, and, and, and I'm sure you're going to share some kind of other, you know, strategies to help us overcome it. But that's part of my big drive and mission is just, I don't think we do a good enough job advocating for ourselves to say that, hey, we do deserve a seat at this table this is why, this is what my, you know, profession says, this is, you know, the, the experience that I have and and can bring. And I, like I said, I just conflict with that because I think we really do have a responsibility to help ourselves out there. Yeah. You know, you mentioned an onion that has many layers to yeah. it. And, and I don't think there's any like straightforward answer yeah. for that. But I do, I do think that it, it it's very true, very valid statement to say that we aren't necessarily seen on the same plane as other medical professionals. And, you know, you're right. There's some part of self-accountability and there's advocacy and it's, it's changing habits or changing a framework that definitely takes time, but I think it is necessary for our field. Yeah. I don't, I've just always, I don't know, for my entire life, I've just been that type of person instead of to complain about something 
what can I do to change it? You know, so it's like people will come to me like, I feel this way, or I'm not really appreciated. What should I do about it? And I'm like, well, you need to speak up. You need to advocate for yourself. Like no one else is going to do it for you, you know? So, and and sometimes that answer rubs people the wrong way, but I, that's, that's just how my blood is. So I, (laughs) you know, and I'm, I'm very much the same way. I'm a doer and I do feel like if I'm starting to feel like a victim or I'm blaming, I have to really do some internal work and say, well, what is that really stemming from? Am I allowing that to happen? And why am I allowing that to happen? And what do I need to do to change that? Right, right. I, I obviously, like you said, there's many layers, but I think it, you know, starts with speaking up and advocating and, and showing people what we are capable of. And it escalates all the way to the, to the point of, if you're not ever feeling appreciated, like, is that the job or the position for you? You know, and, right. and I've had so many people that just will constantly come to me, like, I'm feeling this way. I'm being treated this way. I'm being told this. And I'm like, I don't know that this job, I don't know if this facility is the right place for you. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's it's right next door. It's convenient for my lifestyle. And it's like, it's convenient for your lifestyle because it's next door. But other than that, it's tearing you up inside. So. <laughs> right. And, and I think this is something that I had to learn myself. But you, you have a choice. Yeah. You have permission to give yourself that choice, what actually works for you or not. And it's such a simple concept but it's not necessarily simple in execution of we feel like we need to suffer through something, but why, you know, going back to what you said is they're so stressed or it's, it's one thing's working, but nothing else is working. One of the strategies, and this is just a little teaser until later on is you got to get back in your body and really process those emotions. And you really have to feel those feelings to know which one weighs outweighs the other. So for somebody, it might be convenience to home because they've got to run home and, you know, take care of their child or whatever they can. And that outweighs everything. But another person might reanalyze the same situation and realize, no, this is not working for me. This is not a healthy environment. Yeah. I'm just someone, I just have such strong personal values. And I just always think like, I'm feeling this way about the situation. Like, is this in line with my values? And it's like, Yes, it is. Okay, then I'm going to fight through it. Is it not? Then no, I'm going to get it. I'm going to figure out a way out of it. You know, and I think a lot of people are just in this constant battle of, well, I value this, but it's not being valued at my work, you know, and, and I think that's just causes a big struggle for some people. Yeah, it's a disconnect. It's a disconnect. Yeah, absolutely. I use that same thing with all my actions in life, whether it be like that dessert that I want to eat or anything. It's like, I ask that same question, is this in line with who I want to be? Yep. And it can be as simple as that cheesecake, or it can be as complex as that job. Right. But it's, it's something that I do. That's a great, great question to ask yourself. Yeah. So why am I sharing this on this podcast among medical speech pathologists? The research has found that approximately 70% of speech therapists across all settings present with some kind of burnout, at least some degree of burnout or compassion fatigue. So most of that research of prevalence is just about as old as I am. And I suspect that number is even higher in this day and age because it doesn't really capture today's work demands, stresses, pressures that speech therapists experience today. 
But the big thing is Swidler and Ross, they found that speech therapists in a hospital setting present with the most severe effects of compassion fatigue as compared to those in the private practice setting, the school setting, and the university setting. Did they compare skilled nursing in that? They didn't. Ah, I feel like that would be like the highest. I know. I agree. What a flawed study. Oh. Okay. We need okay. more good research. I know. <laughs> yeah, they didn't look at any other medical setting other than the hospital. With jerks. Um, okay. I know. But, you know, can we assume that maybe that other medical speech therapists are experiencing a, a similar degree as the hospital-based speech therapists? Mm, probably. Yeah. But the big thing is, well, why is that important? Because we're, we're talking to either you today, whoever's listening, or we're talking about talking to one of your colleagues. So it's all around you. This is actually happening. And I love, Teresa, that you and your colleague were talking about that you're getting the ball rolling, that this really is experienced among many SLPs. So if it's not you, it's definitely somebody you know. And it's really important to know about it and to know what the signs and symptoms are so that you can create this sustainability and satisfaction within your career. So who's impacted here? What's, what's the implications? So there's like a three-level tier that burnout and compassion fatigue can impact. So there's the first one is the professional themselves. So we're talking about you, the speech therapist. The next one is the patient's care that they're being given. And the third is the organization. So the healthcare system of operations. All three of those are interrelated and can really create a domino effect if one of them's off. So if we're looking at the professional, there's a lot of personal health that can be impacted. So I'm going to read off a bunch of them. You might think, oh my goodness, I totally have it after reading this because it, it covers a okay. lot of ground. <laughs> it's like it's like reading WebMD when you're like, crap, I have that. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. It's very scary. Okay. <laughs> so what it has is a very overwhelming emotionally and mentally impact on your well-being. So you can have increased feelings of fear, anxiety, unresponsiveness or boredom, hopelessness, insufficiency a lack of energy or fatigue, inability to feel joy. It also can lead to poor judgment, indifference, callousness, declines in psychological well-being that can even lead to mental illness and most in, in severe cases, suicidal ideations. It can also bleed into family problems. You can experience chronic lateness lowered self-esteem. It can also manifest into physical implications. So you could have poor physical health, sleep disturbances, insomnia, changes in appetite, GI problems, headache, hypertension, a reduced overall ability and strength. They've also linked it to have a correlation with being more accident prone, being involved in motor vehicle accidents, um, development of substance abuse issues, all kinds of things. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whew. 
I'm going to blame my chronic lateness on compassion fatigue then. <laughs> All right. That makes me feel better. <laughs> the silver lining and yeah. compassion fatigue. I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> but what they were able to find, so that's basically what I just read is the literature across all medical professionals. So that isn't specific okay. to speech therapists. This is just a general list of okay. symptoms. So what they found among speech therapists is that compassion fatigue contributed to poor job satisfaction and retention rates and the impact of the job environment. So you've got higher caseloads, decreased quality of services, a lack of ability to provide the services for everybody in need. It also, compassion fatigue negatively affects productivity and professional performance. Psychological tolls among SLPs can result in feelings of isolation and also can impact non-work activities and also that work-life balance that we talked about. So I don't know if you're listening and you're feeling like, oh my goodness, at least like five of those are hitting, hitting the nail on the head. So that's just within the professional. So say you have, you're experiencing these, well, what happens at the next tier? So that's patient care. So if you're experiencing these, they've also found that patient care can be impacted. So it can lead to marginal work performances, decreased professionalism, actually a reduced medical knowledge, inability to perform job-related tasks, increase in medical errors. And in the healthcare setting, among all medical professionals, they found that compassion fatigue has been linked to the decrease in patient satisfaction of care and the higher patient mortality rates. So yeah. we're, yeah, this, this actually bleeds into so many different things. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I, I, I am going to say, I think I believe, it. I do believe it because I just, like, I think of the weeks that like, I'm stressed to the max with so many fees patients. Like, like last week I, I had, I had more fees than I've had in a long time and it was a ton of traveling. And I think like, I have to remind myself, like you have to fill your cup before you can fill other people's cup, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just like, by the end of the week, I looked in the mirror and I was like, Oh my God. Like I looked like hell. I had like driven a million miles. I was eating fast food the whole time, you know, like so out of character. And I felt like by the time I got to like those patients on Friday, like I feel bad because they did not get the best of me. Like they got a really tired, exhausted, drained Teresa. And I just remember like looking at my report, like, I don't even know what to write here. Like, and I'm like this, like, I, and it's funny that we're having this conversation now. Cause I remember like, I was laying in bed talking to my husband. I was like, I feel like I was the world's shittiest SLP today. Like, I just, I'm exhausted. Like, <laughs> and you know, he's like, you can't do that to you. He's like, you cannot see that many patients in one week. Like, don't do that to yourself. And I was like, I know, you know, and it sounds so simple thinking back on it, but yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, we, we like to help people. We're in the yeah, people. Right, right. And, and that was it. I'm like, I can't put them off till next week. Like I need to get them done today. But then on the other hand, it's like, they got a shitty Teresa today. They didn't even get a good Teresa. So, <laughs> you know, it's a vicious cycle, right? Yeah, so you're, yeah. out, you're tired, you're not able to give your best. And so then patient care is ultimately affected. And how does that make you feel? It doesn't make you feel good. And then you're tired and you're stressed. And then what does that do? It feeds back into the cycle of giving good patient care. So it's definitely yeah. this circular motion of a catch 22 that it's yeah. hard to break out of, but it's yeah. good that you recognized it. Yeah. 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 So how do we fix it, Kate? Are you going to tell us that? 
I can help you fix that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the one thing I want to mention too, before we move on, because there's the third part of the, the healthcare system operation. So, you know, why is this important to information for you to share to your supervisors, administrators? Why do they care? Well, not only does it affect patient care, but it also impacts their operations. Because if you're having more professionals who are burnt out, that can really create a deterioration in the workplace climate. And it can lead to decreased colleague interactions. It can lead to decreased productivity, attrition. It can result in early retirement, greater use of sick days or reduction in work hours. So what does that all mean for the healthcare system? Yeah. Money, right? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, compassion fatigue costs healthcare organizations literally millions of dollars. I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. So this is why it's not only important for you to know this information, but to pass this along to your superiors because they need to know that you need to have the right things in place, right? Tools and strategies in place, not only for yourself, but also to help them. It's, it's a win-win when we can remediate some of these negative symptoms that are caused by compassion fatigue. Yeah. So what the heck do we do about it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, people might be scared right now. <laughs> this is intense. Well, I'm here to help you. Okay. And there are some really quick and easy things you could do. So one thing that's just so you can start off by doing is really, now that you know some of these symptoms and negative effects, you can see how often you're starting to feel these feelings. So you're going to be building your awareness. So labeling these feelings, just like you did, you know, with your fees, your crazy fees day. Oh, I am fatigued. I am irritable. I am maybe a little callous. I don't know, whatever it is. But What I like to do and what I've done in the past is I set a little alarm on my calendar, on my phone. So throughout the day, it'll go off and it'll be like body check. So when I see that going off, I immediately go, oh, how was I thinking? What was I thinking? Was that, ooh, is that a sign of compassion fatigue? Oh, no, everything was good. I was, I was, my thoughts were positive or optimistic or whatever it is, but just setting a reminder in your calendar to really see how often are you experiencing these effects because the results might be kind of scary sometimes. I know when I was going through it myself, I knew that I had it, but then when I took the time to really see like throughout the day what I had, yeah, it was a lot more than I thought. It's like if you... I had this great mentor and she's like, if you're, you could uh, audio record your thoughts throughout the day, what would be like the top three cycles that just keep coming through? And I don't think we all just take time to do it because we're all on autopilot. We've got stuff to get done and it's important to get done in a timely manner and we just kind of go. So to take, to stop and take a look at what, what your thoughts are saying is really important. And scary. And scary. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Maybe that's just Teresa Richards in, but oh, yeah, it's a no, scary no, no. place up there. Okay. <laughs> I can relate. Okay. Uh, and then another one. So what I've done too is sharing your narrative. So just like what you said 
with your colleague going back to that, sharing that, because you're going to find, you know, burnout can lead and cause, you know, lead to depersonalization and isolation, like we talked about before. So by sharing your story, you will see that others may feel the same way. It provides an opportunity to connect. And also, you know, we're, we're labeling this as like, oh, this is a bad thing. Well, then you feel shameful of this that you shouldn't be experiencing. I'm here to help people. I shouldn't be feeling these. Well, I mean, the truth is basically everybody. I mean, 70% of people are experiencing this among SLPs. So you're not the only one. And it's really important to be able to connect and provide a network, a community that to really help build upon to help each other, right? Some accountability there to, oh, you're really feeling a little burnt out today. Okay, well, let's let's put our body checks into our calendar and see how we feel today. You can help remind each other. So something you can do at your desk as you're maybe doing paperwork or, or things like that. This exercise will immediately calm that fight or flight response, and you're shifting from that sympathetic to parasympathetic dominance. So you can literally just breathe is <laughs> really oh. important. You know, so going back to that stress response is your body shallows that breathing pattern. So you're really not getting optimal oxygen into your system to get that ideal circulation throughout the day. Because if you're stressed all day, you're not breathing adequately throughout the day. So, you know, this is a strategy that's been in place for thousands of years, been practiced. I recommend going on YouTube and you can even Google a uh, search there, you know, guided breathing practices. But one that I really like is just counting your breath. So you take one breath in, that's one. Out is two. In is three. Out is four. And try and go to 50 by counting your breath. You're going to find... I don't have time for that, Kate. I know. It's really hard (laughs) because you're going to find at like breath 10, all of a sudden you're at like, you know, 25 and you're like, wait a minute, I was not paying attention. Getting back into my body, got to start all over. So you're going to find that it's actually way more challenging to actually breathe than you thought. Yeah. So another one, so that's just like an immediate, that immediately takes you out of that stress response, puts you back in to that relaxed state in your body. So you can do that throughout the day. One that I like that really should be implemented as your routine, daily routine, is a grounding practice. So exercises that help us get back into our body, help us feel responsible for our own safety and well-being. That's that parasympathetic response. So I find like with burnout, the major symptoms for most people are anxiety and depression. So anxiety is really your, your mind telling you you're anticipating something in the future. So that's anxiety. Depression is basically you're reliving past events. So you're either in the future or the past or both, depending on what you're experiencing. But rarely are we in the actual present moment. So by doing an exercise, I like, I call it the five senses meditation. So what I do in the morning Here I've got my tea. I either go outside as soon as I get my tea or I look out outside a window, you know, depending on the weather. And I I go through my senses. I find 
identify one thing for each sense. So one thing that you see, one thing you smell, one thing you feel, one thing you taste, one thing you hear. So I see the bird flying, I smell my tea, I feel the warmth of the mug on my hand, I taste my tea or my toothpaste or whatever I just did. My morning breath. My morning breath. Mm, sexy morning breath. <laughs> Your morning sounds so much more glamorous than mine, Kate, but I'll, I'm going to get there someday. <laughs> I'm thinking like I live in Buffalo. I see snow and gray. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you know, and you bring up a good point is you're going to have some different response every day. And it's important that you do it without judgment. So you just, you're just noting, right? It's not that it's a good or bad thing. You're just noting, oh yeah, that's, that's the smell I I smell or that's what I'm hearing, whatever it is. But it helps set the tone for the day because if you don't stop to create a moment for yourself, you're just consuming information. You're just reacting to whatever stresses all day. But if you're doing this, you have made a choice to take time for yourself and to create that feeling in your body of relaxation to then set the tone and carry that throughout the day. So that's why I like to do it in the morning because it, it puts me more in control of my feelings before I go out and, and help people. I like that a lot. Ah. I think like this may be related, may not be related, but like one thing I'm really trying to like be cognizant of is like, I don't look at my phone like first thing in the morning. I try to like, you know, I get up and I, like you said, I I don't do the five senses thing, but I do try to do like some meditation or something like that in the morning. And I try to get through that first before I open my phone and want to scream at everybody. But I think like that sets me up for a much more peaceful day than just like on the defensive from the minute I open my eyes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like to say create before you consume. Yeah. So create that life, create that environment before you're consuming information that may or may not really that can, that will impact you, but may or may not, you give it a choice or an opportunity to really impact you. Oh, I love that, Kate. (laughs) Thanks. For those of you who might be listening, who say, well, I'm already burnt out. What do I do? And that's very valid. This burnout, compassion, fatigue is on this hierarchy scale. And that's why I feel like it's really important to get this message out here and, and have people identify and put things into place now before it gets too bad. But if you're there and you're really thinking of an altered career choice or what do you do, there's definitely things that I recommend. So if you're already burnt out, what I would do is show gratitude and reflect on your why, why you wanted to become an SLP and why you want to transition to another career path. So I really feel like I like this analogy is you can't see a reflection in a pot of boiling water. So similarly, you cannot see the truth in your own state of anger. So if you're, you know, if you're burnt out and you're having all the feels of that right now, it's really hard to wrap your head around this, this 
process or why you're making these decisions to really deeply process this information. So the reason why I suggest gratitude and gratitude being the quality of being thankful, the readiness to show appreciation and to return kindness to the situation, right? So the greater people's experience with gratitude, the greater feelings of positive effect happen. So studies have found that people who experience high levels of gratitude are inclined to experience more positive emotions. So like joy, contentment, happiness, and fewer negative emotions. So those burnout symptoms that we talked about. And I would suggest writing what you're grateful for to refer back to those harder times that you can remember, but also by writing it down, you're increasing that muscle memory and you're more likely to internalize it. So, and I'm talking about being grateful for your job. So say you, you absolutely are at the point where you hate it, but what lessons did it provide? Hey, I'm grateful for this job because it gave me the opportunity to speak up for myself. Or I'm grateful for this job because it provided an opportunity for me to really visualize and analyze my values and see what they were aligned with. So by doing that, you're showing appreciation and you're going to go into your next chapter in life being grateful for those lessons. Yeah, I love that. I have a a business coach that she says to use the bless and release method. So like I just felt like I was going through a lot of conflicts like at one time. And she was like, okay, so, you know, what do you want to do? I'm like, I just want to move on from this. I just want to be done with this and move on. And she's like, okay, so we're going to bless and release. So just bless the experience that it happened. Take the values, you know, take the lessons you learned and release it and move on. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that perspective so much more than like, I can't believe it came to this, you know? Right. And, you know, I found because I've experienced burnout, compassion, fatigue in many different settings that I've worked with. And I find if I'm not doing that work, I carry that negative stuff into my next job. And that's not why you're transitioning. That's not why you're changing to just have more of the same feeling. You know, you want to make sure that you're on a clean slate and you have to do this type of work to really, to really get that clean transition. But also too, so analyzing your why. So why examines like your grit And your grit is like that, that strength to maintain your effort and interest in long-term goals. So why did you become a speech therapist? And like grit is very future oriented. It's, you know, strengthens your ability to endure and to commit to things. So why do I want to transition into another career path? Well, it really gives you that time to analyze why, because if your why is solidified, then you're more likely to feel good about whatever choice that you make. So again, it's just getting back into your body to really feel what resonates. And you're, you're appreciating the now, but you're also looking forward to the future of why I want to do this. So it's like that bless and release. I like yeah. that so much. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> let me, this is totally off topic, Kate, but let me ask you, did you tell me what your, your title is again, your certified compassion fatigue therapist or something. Did I get that right? Close. Yeah. Certified compassion fatigue professional. Okay. Were you that before an SLP or did you get into that after SLP world? I got into that after being an SLP because, and it wasn't necessarily for myself. It was for, I was finding caregivers and spouses were having a really hard time coping with what their 
what significant other was going through. So they were kind of on their own journey through this traumatic experience of whatever it was. And so I saw that it really isn't just about the patient that I'm treating. It's this whole team approach and everybody is, has their own story through this trauma. And through that, I also found I did too and didn't even realize it. Yeah. But we all, we all experience our own thing. Yeah. That's so fascinating. I feel like there's so much out there about caregiver fatigue now. And it's, you know, it's so interesting that that's kind of what brought you to that. But then you're like, crap, it's going on here too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Awareness is a scary thing. Yeah. Very much so. Oh God. (laughs) Stuff it back in the box. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So do you have any final thoughts, Kate? This has been so wonderful and helpful and awesome. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to to be on your amazing platform to to talk about this topic because you really really are able to touch a lot of people. And I feel like this topic is applicable to to so many people in a variety of settings too. Yeah, very much so. Do you have any any kind of resources or any place people can go if they're if you've now shattered the glass that they're <laughs> right. How do we pick up the pieces? Yeah. <laughs> It's a team approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you, if anybody is interested in getting more tips, tricks, resources to combat compassion fatigue and just get more general information on the topic, ask me questions. If you have any questions, you can email me at katiespeech at gmail.com. K-A-T-I-E. S-P-E-E-C-H at gmail.com. And I'm going to be launching an online course for Burnout Bootcamp to kind of help jumpstart your way into using some of these strategies and a whole lot more. I love that so much. Yeah, I'm really excited because like we just talked about, it's a team approach. It's really hard when you're in it. It's like you feel like you're just crawling out of a ditch that you just can't reach the top of. So I do feel like having those supports in place and doing it as a team is so important. So if you want more information about that, please email me. You can also follow me on Instagram, which is Santa Rosa Speech Therapy. And I share some information about that as well. Awesome. Oh, this was so helpful, Kate. So what's next with your capstone project? What What are you working on specifically for that? So what I am going to be looking at, um, I'm going to be investigating the effects of a mindfulness-based intervention um, on the effects and of compassion fatigue among medical speech language pathologists. So I am in the beginning stages, but it's moving along and I'm just so excited about it. I love it. This is such great work, Kate. This is so cool and unique and so well needed. Well, thank you. Thank you yes. so much. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. I'm, I'm honored. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on SwallowYourPridePodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.